on pay-per-view. Hi, everyone, along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco, I am Tony Schiavone, and as always, two jam-packed hours. Of course, Eric Bischoff and Bobby the Brain Heenan will be with you for hour number two. In that hour number two, Larry Zabisco, heading to the Great American Bash, Arn Anderson and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, against a newcomer. We've been hearing a lot about Joe Gomez and the Renegade. Well, Joe Gomez and the Renegade, two nitrodites here, neophytic wrestlers, but they get a chance here on the hottest show in professional wrestling. Unfortunately, they're going in against two masters. Arn Anderson, Ric Flair are gonna put on a clinic tonight. I just hope for their own benefit that Dumbo McMichaels and his partner, Kevin Running Dummy Green, are gonna be watching. They're gonna need all the knowledge they can get. Along with their coach, the macho man, Randy oh, Savage, on, I might add. Coach. Also, fans, we wanna talk about, later in this telecast, in the second hour, the Giant and Scott Norton one-on-one. -on -one. Well, again, Scott Norton, a man that impressed me, but now I think he's getting more of that football mentality. He hasn't learned from the first beating at the hands of the Giant. And tonight, Tony, mark my words, he's gonna get choke slammed again. Fans, for the past two weeks, we have been rudely interrupted here on WCW Monday Nitro. I think it bears repeating to go back and show you exactly what happened as we closed the program last week, the first time ever in this sport. Take a look at this footage. Only nobody tells me what to do. And Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Okay, okay, tough guy. I got a little, no. I got a big surprise for you next week. And fans, next week is this week. What is that big surprise? We hope to find out during this two hours of WCW Monday Nitro Live as we kick it off with the greatest wrestling action in the world, World Championship Wrestling. We go to David Pinter. Ladies and gentlemen, the Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed 20 years, a few months, some weeks, and probably a few days from its original air date. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me, as ever, is my broadcast partner, Dave Amendorp. I don't know why I did it that way this time. Hey, before uh, we find out how Dave's doing, uh, as he was about to tell you, but I rudely interrupted him, I realized that uh, in the past couple episodes we recorded, I forgot to tell you that you should follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. I doubt you can find us on the freaking awesome network. <laughs> and piledriverwrestling.net. Uh, but, hey, you know what? I'll look into it. Maybe you can. You, you know where you can find us, though? Uh, however you're listening to us right now. You, may, you, you made it this far, so you probably don't need to know where you can find us, right? Dave, how are you doing this week? You know what? I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I'm doing fine. <laughs> ah, oh, I feel so dignified now. <laughs> It is June 10th, 1996, and Nitro is emanating live from the Wheeling Civic Center in Wheeling, West Virginia. 
in front of 3,500 fans who paid a total gate of $41,000. Nice. Tony Schiavone does not have a banded collar this week, uh, but he is not wearing a tie, so <laughs> he's still keeping it business cash. <laughs> Larry has a turtleneck and a blazer, so they're still very 90, uh, 1990s this yeah. week. Uh, this is the go-home show for the Great American Bash. Tonight, we're told we are going to get Arn Anderson and Ric Flair facing Joe Gomez and the Renegade. Ooh. Yeah, oh, I'm in the edge of my seat. Uh, there's a kid behind them with his shirt off and the letter T painted across his chest, uh, but I can't read see anyone else among him. Uh, I can't see anyone next to him, that is, yeah. uh, with, with similar stuff. So it's just a kid with a T, not wearing a shirt. <laughs> Although it's uh, Wheeling, West Virginia. He, he may have just never seen a shirt. Oh, ho, ho. I'm a coastal elite sitting here in Wisconsin. <laughs> Larry, Larry Zbysko also refers to the renegade and Joe Gomez as Neophytic, in which I think he meant Neolithic. Uh, what does that mean? What does Neolithic mean? Um, they're more like Neanderthals. Okay. Uh, like okay, like, sure. Well, that's probably fair. Yeah. I don't know Joe Gomez. He hasn't made his debut yet. This is this will be his debut. But the yeah. Renegade, he's kind of Neanderthal esque. That's yeah. that's fine. <laughs> yeah, they seem pretty excited about Joe Gomez's debut. I mean, it sounds more to me like a match is just to kind of hype up Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, but yeah. they kind of make an emphasis on the debut of Joe Gomez. Scott Norton will be facing the Giant, and Larry says that Norton clearly hasn't learned from his first beating, and he's going to get choke slammed again. Oh. Tony says that for two weeks they have been rudely interrupted, but he notably does not say the name of the interrupter. Uh-huh. They go to a replay of Scott Hall's confrontation with Sting at the end of last week's episode, and Tony hypes Scott Hall's big surprise that's coming this week. Yeah, this is the, the first week in which... As far as the invasion go- goes, we have a, an expectation of what's going to happen. Right. Um, so it'll, I'm especially interested to see how the the hour ratings end up going because I tend to think the fans are dumb and know that it's going to be at the end of the show. Right. Because <laughs> that's how it's gone so far. So I'm interested to see how it, it spikes up on that second hour. All right. Well, we go to Dave Penzer, who introduces us to Booker T., Tony tells us that T is going to be facing Scott Steiner, and this is a very interesting matchup uh, given that these two will have a very important match on the final Nitro uh, in about five years from now. Yeah, and, and essentially like the last year of WCW, that this was like a marquee feud, so yep. we're getting a really, really early preview. Um, I Which is, it, I mean, even more surprising since they're both, I mean, they're tag team specialists at this point in their respective careers. Yeah. And I, I think it's an interesting booking, and um, and the fact that Harlem Heat has, has had trouble getting onto the show. Right. But then once they do, it's just Booker T. I don't know if that helps their tag team a whole lot, but obviously we're getting the two uh, talents of their respective teams facing each other one-on-one, so... And again, like we said, it's like it's a it's a peek into the future as far as WCW is concerned. Out next is Scott Steiner, and he is without Rick, and uh, Booker does not have Stevie Ray with him. So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting, I guess, that these two tag team guys do not even have their seconds with them. Yeah, I I was wondering in the in respect to the actual wrestlers like Stevie Ray and Rick Steiner, if they see this as kind of uh, a, a shot at them that they are they they're being kind of pointed out as the weak links of their team. Right. Um, I, 
I mean, I don't know if they if wrestlers kind of look at it that way, but when I see the matchup and not having them out at ringside, it kind of is like, yeah, I mean, these guys could probably be fine without you. Tony tells us to call our friends and neighbors and tell them that Great American Bash is only six days away and the time to tune into Nitro is now. <laughs> Tony clearly does not know what life is like for most wrestling fans because the last thing I was going to do uh, as a 13-year-old boy yeah. was call my friends and admit that I was a wrestling fan <laughs> and tell them that Great American Bash was in six days and Nitro's on now. <laughs> not happening, Tony. <laughs> I will watch this in my basement and tell no one. <laughs> Sting and Meng will be going one-on-one. -on -one. The Nasty Boys, Public Enemy, and so much more will be coming to us this week. Booker overpowers Scott early, and Steiner complains that Booker uh, grabbed the hair. Shoulder block from Steiner, followed by both men fighting for a backslide and a show of strength. Booker shows his agility by backflipping over Steiner mm -hmm. in response to the backslide attempt. Steiner tries for a side suplex, but Booker again shows his athleticism by backflipping out of that too. A German attempt by Steiner, but Booker elbows out of it. Booker goes for a kick, which Steiner dodges before hitting a butterfly suplex. An atomic drop by Steiner is followed by a suplex, which sends Booker to the outside. Larry and Tony focus on what kind of training Macho Man could be giving the football players. <laughs> I, you know, I mentioned last week, 30% of the commentary, at least in all matches, yeah. is focused on that tag match. Yeah, and that's not even before one of the people involved in the match, Bobby Heenan, is on commentary. <laughs> Uh, the only way to find out what kind of training they've been getting is to order the pay-per-view, according oh. to Tony Schiavone. Okay. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to sell a, a pay-per-view. I, I want to order that pay-per-view and see what kind of uh, training Macho Man's been giving them. <laughs> that's I'm, you know, I'm finally talked into it. Booker is taking control of the match with a knee to Scott's face, and then he gets a scissor kick for two. Larry points out that it's tough to pin someone as strong as Steiner, uh, which, eh, good, yeah. good commentary. Yeah. Uh, Tony, but it, I, I pointed out because it starts kind of a trend for this evening with Larry that starts to grate on me by the show's end. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tony hypes the Steiners versus Fire and Ice, which is a match that we will see on Great American Bash. Those two teams uh, have faced each other on several recent episodes of Saturday Night and maybe even main event, I'm not sure. But so far, there has not been a decisive finish. You know, there's been countouts and DQs and such. Yeah. So this Sunday's match uh, is essentially no countout, no disqualification. The way they've been phrasing it is there must be a winner. Mm -hmm. A scoop slam from Booker gets some heat from the crowd. He goes to the top rope and hits a top rope twisting crossbody for two. Larry again criticizes Booker's cradle. Uh, so again, he's kind of harping on Booker's pinning technique. Okay. Booker goes for a vertical suplex, which Steiner counters into a reverse DDT. Uh, we just saw Sting do the exact same counter last week. And I think we see him and the later tonight. <laughs> and the week before, too. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> a back body drop from Steiner, who then gets five corner punches before climbing down and getting whipped into the corner by Booker. But Scott comes out of the corner with a huge belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Booker is whipped into the ropes, but hangs onto them as Steiner goes for a Frankensteiner, causing Scott to crash to the canvas. A big uh, jumping knee to the face by Booker gets a two-count. And Larry is still yelling on about his pinning technique, yeah. which looks fine. <laughs> uh, I forget what wrestler it was, if it was maybe Lance Storm. I once saw a, a wrestler kind of go off about how it bothers him that announcers always talk about a lack of hooking the leg. And it's just a thing that announcers have kind of grabbed onto as like a 
a legitimate sounding sports, you know, caster kind of thing to say Mm -hmm. and how um, it just sort of pissed them off because it ends up making the guys look dumb. Like you're just criticizing them for not knowing how to pin all the time. Right. Booker hits a side slam and then goes up to the top rope for a splash. But Steiner moves. Steiner hits another belly to belly for the three count. Uh, good match, kind of on the short side, mm-hmm. and uh, I love Booker T, but it makes sense that a guy booked for the pay-per-view goes over, Yeah, and Booker isn't hurt because he's a tag team guy at this point, so yeah. beating him in a singles match is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this is good booking. It's a stark contrast to some of the matches we've been having on Nitro recently where you know maybe it builds for the pay-per-view, but kind of at someone's expense where it shouldn't, or it doesn't really build uh, very well, like with Regal's win last week over Hacksaw. Right. Uh, this one actually makes sense, and, and nobody's damaged by it particularly. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a good opener for the show. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a good opener, too. Um, this is either the second or third week in a row in which Scott Steiner's uh, Frankensteiner was countered by someone grabbing onto the ropes. So unless they start making an adjustment in the ring, he's going to start looking really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was also the match that I was mentioning last week in which Scott Steiner got a, like a kick right to the face too from Booker T. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's had some like poor luck when it comes to those, uh, running into the corners. Um, yeah, it was a good opener. Uh, having a good opening match is really important to get the crowd like involved and, and like excited. And, uh, in particular, they did a much better job than last week in which they started with a John Tenta promo and then a John Tenta Bubba quote unquote match. Right. Um, so hopefully that this is them learning that lesson and and having better opening matches as they progress. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we've mentioned before how since the switch to two hours, they've started putting these small short promo packages together before commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go to an audio clip of the one that we hear before we go to our first commercial tonight because I really like it. Uh, you're going to hear Arn Anderson talking over some foot, uh, footage of the football players training, and then you're going to hear a little bit from Jimmy Hart talking about Scott Norton uh, because Norton will be taking on Hart uh, client, the giant, later yeah. on in this uh, show. Brought to you by Pep Boys, America's Automotive Super Center. Still to come, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, the giant, as we head into Sunday's Great American Band. Green, we know you've been at minicamp. But Michaels, I hope you haven't been laying on that couch stuffing donuts down your neck. We're going to give you a visual aid as to what is in store for you at the Great American Bash. Nitro is where all the horsemen show out. Scott Norton, after the giant choke slammed you last week on Nitro, I can't believe you're coming back for a double dose. <laughs> All right, after that, we go to commercial, and when we get back, Gene Okerlund is standing in the aisle with Scott Steiner, and let's uh, go to an audio clip of that uh, interview. (laughs) We are back, ladies and gentlemen, in front of a jam-packed audience here. They are hanging from the rafters tonight on WCW Monday Nitro. With me now, Scott Steiner next Sunday live in Baltimore at the Great American Bash. You and your brother against fire and ice, and there must be a winner. That's right, Mean Gene. Me and the dog-faced gremlin have always prided ourselves in being the number one tag team in the world. That's why we are here in WCW. Fire and ice, there will be a winner in Baltimore this Sunday. Wait a minute, Scotty. Deborah McMichael. I'm so sorry to interrupt you right now, but I really have to talk to Mr. Oakland right now about my husband. I'm so sorry, but I have to get this point across right well, now. This is highly unusual, Scott. Uh, it's okay, Mean Jean. Take her away. She looks very upset. All right, you and I will hook up a little bit later on and finish this conversation. Deborah, as I say, this is highly unusual, 
what uh, what's well, going through your mind? Well, I tell you, I couldn't even sleep last night, Gene. I mean, I've been thinking about, you know, what's coming up this this. This Sunday, Sunday, of course, in Baltimore. And I've been really upset about it, and I'm worried about my husband, Steve, and, and I know, you know, he's a really great athlete, and I know Kevin Green's a great athlete, and I know Mr. Anderson and Ric Flair, they're great, too, at their professions, but I'm worried that Steven might go a little crazy, and he might hurt someone permanently, and I'm really, really upset about that. And, you know, I feel really bad because I feel like, you know, it's my fault. Wait a minute, Deborah. I want to take the guesswork out of this right here and now. This is not your fault. Ric Flair has a reputation. He has taken visual liberties. He's talked about you. He said things that shouldn't have been said. And he has infuriated your husband. I know, but it's silly to, to let someone get out there and get hurt permanently over something silly like that. And I tell you what I really want to do here tonight, I want to ask you, to see if maybe you can make a meeting with, with Mr. Flair and Mr. Anderson, and maybe we can talk this out and, and like end this before anybody gets hurt. Are, are you saying there's a possibility we're gonna call it off? I wish they would. Here's what I'm gonna do, Deborah. I will try to get a hold of Bobby Heenan. As you know, I've worked for him. He's gonna be the coach for Flair and Anderson. Let me see if I can get an audience. If I can, we'll do it here tonight. Because I know, like Randy Savage, I mean, you don't know what he's going to do. A lot of nuts involved in this thing. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your concern. Deborah McMichael, you look just terrific tonight. Right now, let's get you back to the ring and more Nitro. So there you go. Scott uh, basically does a very just yelly promo until Deborah interrupts. Mm -hmm. She wants to talk to Gene, and Scott is fine with that because he's a gentleman, of course. Yep. And he heads to the back. Deborah is having sleepless nights over this upcoming match at the Great American Bash. Uh, she's specifically worried that Mongo is so crazy he may permanently hurt someone. Deborah feels that uh, she's at fault because, I don't know, sexism or something? <laughs> I don't know either. She's so attractive that her man can't help but get in fights, it's, I guess? It's I, like, it's her, she thinks it's her fault that other men flirt with her. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Deborah wants Gene to set up a meeting with Flair and Anderson so they can just kind of talk out their differences and avoid the need for a match entirely. Yeah. Gene says that he can talk to Heenan, uh, accidentally saying that he works for Bobby when he meant that he works with Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to try to, he can set up a meeting with Bobby so they can hopefully mm -hmm. find a way to put this past them. We then see uh, the shirtless kids, so it's it's not just one. There were some others. Yeah. And uh, the letters on their back spell WCW. So I still don't know the T on the front. What is TNT? Yeah, I know. We're going to get that eventually. Oh. <laughs> I'm taking the audience on the journey with me. <laughs> uh, out now is newcomer Jim Powers. Ooh. Jim Powers was born James Manley, which is a pretty good wrestling name, too. <laughs> that's a, Jim Manley. That's a better name. I, it definitely is. He joined the WWF in the mid-1980s at the behest of Big John Studd, who helped train him. His greatest success came as a lower mid-card tag team along with uh, pretty Paul Roma, known as the Young Stallions. They had matches on the first Survivor Series and the first Royal Rumble, but were never major players and both eventually went their separate ways with little fanfare. He spent the early 90s mostly doing jobs before his release in 1994 and has been on the indies ever since. He makes it all the way to the ring and poses and DDP's music starts before the announcers bother mentioning him at all. <laughs> So, so he didn't get the jobber entrance, but he got the jobber entrance. He, he didn't get the jobber entrance, but he got the jobber treatment. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, DDP is actually mentioned before uh, Powers 
and Tony very quickly tosses off that DDP is putting uh, his Lord of the Rings title on the line in this match against this nobody guy. Right. And, like, that title, does it hold any meaning? The the whole deal with the title was it was supposed to give you a title shot. Uh, if you were Lord of the Rings, you got a title shot. Yeah. But because there was some kind of... Um, question about the methods with which he got it Mm -hmm. they just gave the title shot to lex yeah with no explanation as to why it went to lex since barbarian was the second to last guy in the lethal lottery match (laughs) so it should have been barbarian by following any sort of fair rules right um but so for some reason ddp has been allowed to keep the title lord of the ring rings excuse me yeah uh, no, it is Ring. Rings is the... It it, mm, it changes yeah, from well, be, time to time. Be, that's why you don't name your, your your thing something very close to a very famous established property. Right. Because you'll never remember which one's yours. Right. Anyway, uh, that title is meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless, but apparently yeah. DDP is putting it on the line. Great. It's kind of like um, prior to King of the Ring when King was a title that you could win in yeah, WWF. Because there was like King Haku, King Harley Race, those guys. Yeah, right. Shivani also calls Powers a guy he has virtually ignored as a great name in our sport. <laughs> okay. Larry lists off some other football players who have... Larry decides to talk about the football players some more and lists off other football players who have had wrestling matches and not been successful. Specifically, he cites an infamous incident between Detroit Lions standout Alex Karras, who is also remembered for his acting career, which includes playing Mongo in Blazing Saddles, uh-huh. and as the adoptive father to Emmanuel Lewis on Webster. <laughs> According to wrestling lore, legendary badass Dick the Bruiser considered himself the toughest guy in Detroit and got tired of hearing about Karis uh, after Karis was signed to the Lions, so he went to a bar that was f- owned by Karis, uh, the four-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle, looking for a fight. Sure enough, a fight ensued that had to be broken up by police. Detroit promoter Johnny Doyle smelled a gate and booked a match between the two, which took place on April 27th, 1963, in front of a sellout crowd at Detroit's Olympia Auditorium. The match was a violent bloodbath, which saw the valiant but overmatched Karras pinned by Dick the Bruiser after 15 minutes of brutality. And to this day, uh, many wonder if the bar fight that preceded the match was a work, a shoot, or completely invented by Doyle to sell tickets. Hmm. Uh, I was kind of looking into it just because... Larry mentioned Alex Karras, so I googled Alex Karras wrestling just to see what I could find, and I yeah. read about this incident. So then I read all this speculation as whether the whole thing was a work or shoot, so I thought, why not ask the man himself? Uh, so I tweeted uh, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer and asked if he thought it was a work or shoot, and his reply was, quote, it was a shoot, not my opinion, criminal charges were filed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so these guys had a real beef, um, but both were able to put it behind them in order to make some of that sweet, sweet cash. <laughs> right. Money solves everything. <laughs> the other football star mentioned by Larry is Dick Butkus, who has the funniest name in the history of names. Yep. Uh, I couldn't find anything about his foray into wrestling, um, mostly because when you try to Google Dick Butkus wrestling, you get videos of a guy named Dick Buckus Jr., uh, who was in Stampede Wrestling, trained by Bruce and uh, one of the other hearts. Uh, who cares? Gary? It might have been Bruce and Gary. No, Gary. Is there a Gary Hart? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
I, I'm not sure if he's legitimately uh, Dick Buckus' son or not. I don't think he is. Yeah. Because he started wrestling as Dick Buckus Jr., but towards the end, he was going by, like, Jimmy T or something. <laughs> um, but, but I highly suggest you go to YouTube and search for the video of Dick Buckus Jr. versus So Damn Insane. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-90s Stampede Wrestling looks like it was a hell of a show. <laughs> Anyway, Larry uh, notice- noticeably doesn't mention football players who had had great success in wrestling, such as Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who we'll see on this show, or Big Cat Ernie Ladd, who had a very successful career. Or just last year, the match Lawrence Taylor had at WrestleMania. <laughs> right, yeah, he <laughs> won the main event at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. Also, at this point, I made a note that I was getting super tired of him saying Dumbo McMichael. Yes. Because he says it a lot. He said it some last week, but this week is just, if there is a pause in conversation, it's something about Dumbo McMichael. Yeah, we will see over the weeks and months that when Larry latches on to what he feels is a sick burn, he <laughs> will hang on to it. <laughs> yes. We get a lockup and the powerful powers seizes control, but DDP gets a cheap shot in the corner followed by kicks to the gut. DDP works the arm, but Powers reverses, and Page hides between the ropes and jaws at the crowd, allowing Powers to get a pair of roll-ups for two counts. I don't know why you do the, I'm jawing at the crowd, and he rolls me up for two count, and then you do it again immediately after that. (laughs) That's bizarre match layout. (laughs) Again, it's DDP in here with a guy with not with less experience than him, which is the opposite of who he should be working with. Right. Powers ducks a punch and sends DDP to the ropes. No, Jim Powers, I, I... should back up and correct myself. He doesn't have... He has a lot of experience, actually. He's just not very memorable or good. Right. <laughs> okay. No, no. He should be in the ring with people that are, like, experienced and, like, well-practiced. Yeah, well-known for their their solid work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Powers ducks a punch and sends DDP to the ropes. DDP avoids a back body drop with a sort of snapmare-type move. A gut wrench... A gut wrench gut buster from DDP is followed by a standing elbow drop to the back of Powers' head for a two count. Irish whip to the corner by DDP, but Powers then gets a big boot to DDP's face and he drives DDP uh, headfirst into the turnbuckle five times. DDP stumbles around comically, so Powers does it again. DDP hits a drop kick as Tony gets excited that Powers will be the new Lord of the Ring. Larry gets excited. Larry decides to criticize Powers' pin because that's his fucking obsession tonight. Yes. <laughs> Dude is all over uh, people's pins for whatever reason. <laughs> DDP hits an elbow in a diamond cutter, which gets a surprisingly big pop from the crowd. That move is clearly already over, as even DDP, who is pretty much received as a heel by yeah. crowds, he gets a big face reaction for that uh, diamond cutter. People really are already starting to eat that up as an established uh, finisher. Yeah. So that's the end of that match. It was uh, quick. It was fine, I guess. I didn't really have a lot of uh, excited thoughts about it. What about yourself? Yeah, I. Tommy Dallas Page's uh, push is kind of like bizarre because he's facing, he's not facing any quality competition, especially since they announced during this that the Great American Bash, he's a be defending the Lord of the Ring against Marcus Alexander Bagwell. <laughs> yeah, that's. It. I mean, I like I like Bagwell, but. He kind of comes out of nowhere as, I mean, I know it's a meaningless title. I've just banged on about how meaningless it is. Right. But, like, why all of a sudden this that one guy from that one tag team is challenging for a quasi-title is a little beyond me. Right. Yeah, it's just, 
the whole, you know, they call it the Battle Bowl Ring sometimes. Sometimes they call them the Lord of the Ring, Lord of the Rings. It doesn't even seem like they have any idea, like, what it is. Right. It, it, I don't know if it's almost like, you know, Paige has the actual physical ring, so he's like, why don't we just make it like these are title matches now to make me seem more important? We go to a video package highlighting the recent problems between Benoit and Sullivan, uh, which we covered kind of in depth in our last episode, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, before we go to commercial, we find out that Conan is going to be up next. Oh. Uh, Conan we have not seen all that much of since his uh, debut at Clash of the Champions. Certainly mm-hmm. he's our United States champion, but he's not on uh, defending it all that much, certainly not on a Nitro anyway. Yeah. But he is standing by in the locker room with Mean Gene, uh, but first, we go to a commercial, and uh, before we get to that Conan promo we've been promised, we see the shirtless boys that I mentioned before. I'm really mentioning shirtless boys a lot now that I realize <laughs> it. Anyway, their front says TNT, which Dave spoiled for you all. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> terrible. We then get a uh, video package that hypes our current U.S. champion, Conan, just showing mm-hmm. kind of some of his cool moves in the ring. Yeah, and you can kind of notice like he hasn't been on TV a lot because it has like Clash of the Champions yeah. uh, clips and stuff, and that's from January. Well, and the fact that they need to be like, here's who the guy is we're about to talk about. That's yeah, the, you know. that has a championship. <laughs> anyway, let's go to an audio clip as Conan gets some promo time. All right, joining me live at this time, Conan, U.S. champ, the only Latin United States champion in history. You're going to be challenged by a South American this Sunday night in Baltimore at the Great American Bash. It's El Gato. That's right, El Gato, a legend in South America of legendary proportions. And if I may be so presumptuous, just like myself in Mexico. But you know what, Gato? You got to come to the United States and prove yourself just like I did. And believe me, I have because I'm the U.S. champion. A todos los Latinos, los invito que vayan a Baltimore, Maryland. Apoyarme. Y si no, que ordenen el pago por evento porque no les voy a fallar. Gato, any apathy on your part will lead to your demise all right i think that's short and sweet conan united states champ to challenge elgato this coming sunday live from baltimore at the great american bash right now let's get you back up to the ring so there you go at the upcoming great american bash conan will be facing the legend of south american elgato mm-hmm. Ooh, i can't wait to see what elgato has in store according to conan elgato is a legend of legendary proportions too <laughs> <laughs> he uh, at some a certain point switches to Spanish for most of the promo, and then Gene throws it back to the announcers. And this might sound like faint faint praise, as most of the promo is not in English. But Conan seemed way more comfortable and charismatic than he did the last time we hear him heard him speak. Uh, he I forget if it was on Nitro. Yeah, it was on Nitro when he showed up as the Mexican heavyweight champion to say that he would have a match on Clash of the Champions. Do you remember that? Oh, he seemed yeah. super nervous and mm. just. Uh, completely unsure of himself or what he was supposed to say. Okay. This time, you know, he made the silly comment about legendary proportions, um, and most of it was in Spanish. But I thought it was great. I thought he he seemed to have charisma, and I understood why he was a guy on my TV screen. Yeah, and and I found, I mean, El Gato is not anyone that I would know or most American viewers would know. But you want to you want to know why? <laughs> Is it's he... a made-up character. Okay. It's not even a. It's not a South American wrestler whatsoever. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it in the Great American Bash episode, but I want to say that it's just Pat Tanaka. <laughs> it's not. It's not even like a Hispanic guy. <laughs> but uh, no, I did. I thought he made. He did a good job of making it sound like this is a formidable opponent. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. so his goal, he accomplished his goal for this promo. But here and here's the thing, and this, I feel like there is. 
confusion that sometimes happens with Conan's spelling of his name. Yeah. Because in the promo video, it's it's K-O-N-A-N. When, oh. when some people spell it K-O-N-N-A-N. Yeah, I usually, like in all my notes, I've got the double N. Yeah, but I just, there's something about it where depending on whatever week it is, it's like it gets spelled differently. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if maybe in Mexico if it's spelled differently like that. Maybe uh, someone has a rights over using it one way, so he has to use the other way some of the time. Or Maybe he had, like if it's written down. <laughs> it's, it's, so when he's saying it, he's saying it with two ends. I, I mean, I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I hear I hear Just that extra little mm in there. <laughs> <laughs> Meng's music plays as Shivani hypes Great American Bash and plugs Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr., who he, who he calls one of, if not the best, high flyers in the history of Mexico. Ooh. Larry says uh, some racist shit about how the United States champion should at least have a green card. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you what, you fucker? <laughs> Conan was born in Cuba, but he grew up in Boston with an American stepfather. <laughs> like, th- th- just <laughs> drives me crazy. He, uh, You can tell that he lives in a time warp. I mean, yes. he, the, the, the Carol thing is like 35 years ago. <laughs> and yeah. that's his first reference. Yeah, by this point... I like uh, now. Web- Webster might be already off the air by this point. Like, if <laughs> if anyone remembers Alex Karras in 1996, it's as the dad from Webster, and that was like old news. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. Out next is Sting to take on Meng, and Shivani reminds us of Regal's uh backhand slap to Sting to hype their big match on Sunday, and apparently tonight. Later on, we're going to get Regal versus Billy Kidman, uh, who will be making his Nitro debut. But that is in a rematch from Saturday night, so it's not Kidman's WCW debut, apparently. Oh, okay. Uh, so now we've got Sting versus Meng, and here to call all the action is our own Dave Amantor. All right. Well, once they're in the ring, after a brief feeling out period, can you guess how this match starts? Collar elbow tie-up? Ta- Collar elbow tie-up into the corner. When the referee breaks that hold, Ming unloads with punches to the stomach and head, sending the stinger reeling across the ring. Zabisco, impressed with Ming's offense, calls him the human Vegematic, <laughs> yes. which just does not make any sense. Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> Ming's attempt at an Irish whip, however, is countered as Sting hits him with a back body drop. Sting whips Ming into the ropes, but misses a drop kick as Ming held onto the ropes. So apparently Ming was picking up pointers from the opening match. Ming drops an elbow, but instead of going for the cover, he decides to choke Sting. And as he rakes Sting in the eyes and kicks him, Zabisco warns that Ming is not the kind of guy you better send a telegram to. <laughs> okay. And that's the phrasing he uses, too. He's not the kind of guy you better send a telegram to. <laughs> and, you know, we were just talking about old references. Yeah. Telegrams. <laughs> Sting, stop. I will see you at Great American Bash. Stop. <laughs> Beware the mafia kick. Stop. <laughs> uh, after some chops, Ming hits an Irish whip, but Sting takes a momentum and hits a cross body block for a two count. So that's like when he jumps off the ropes. So instead of doing the uh, back into him like he did a couple weeks ago, yeah. he actually does a cross body block. Sure. Ming d- ducks two punches, so Sting fakes a third. And when Ming ducks, then he hits him in the face. Clever, tricky sting. And now it's clothesline city for the stinger. 
After driving Mink's face to the mat head first, which is like, you know that movie. It's kind of a bulldog. It's like he grabs the back of their head and just like hits it. I, yeah. I, it's hard for me to call that a bulldog. Yeah, I don't, yeah, absolutely. So it's driving face Ming's face into the mat. Uh, Sting tries for a body slam, but a small package by Ming nearly gets him to three count. And Nick Patrick is also ridiculously slow on his counts today. Yes, because it was that was a three count in like actual time. A whip chest first into the corner is followed by a Sting schoolboy that also gets only two. Uh, back on their feet, Ming gets the advantage, hitting Sting with a shoulder breaker. Uh, Ming makes a mistake of going to the top rope where Sting crotches him on the on the ropes before very awkwardly putting the Scorpion Deathlock on upside down, in which he struggles to do it a few times. Yeah. But he gets a submission win. Nick Patrick's reaction to men getting crouched on the ropes is hilarious. Oh, is it? He's just his overreaction of like, you know, waving his arms in the air and then just like holding his head with like, oh, dad's got a hoit. It's so absurd. (laughs) But it it is like... (laughs) It was like halfway putting on the Scorpion Death. Like he's, you realize he's like, I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> but he eventually gets it on where it looks like it's pretty much on, and then he Ming immediately like taps out. Which yep. I just I, I have a hard time buying that Ming would just submit to the Scorpion Deathlock. But you know whatever. This is more just hype up Sting, so we have uh, Sting and Luger and the Steiner brothers with momentum going into the pay per view. So I think it was like okay, it was a. Uh, it was a pretty short match. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a fine TV take up time match. No 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 complaints from me. Yeah. Uh, as we go to commercial, we get some more bumper promos. This time from my boy Dave Taylor, and also uh, some from Lord Steven Regal. I continue to love these. I love uh, even if it's just a few sentences. I love getting Dave Taylor mic time on this show. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. We go to commercial, and when we come back, Gene Okerlund is in a locker room with Deborah and Bobby Heenan. Heenan leads her uh, into a further, more private dressing room uh, that's for the four horsemen, and we see Flair pantsless behind the door. He's wearing, like, a shirt, and he must be wearing wrestling trunks. Yeah. But it's like that Randy Orton thing where mm-hmm. sometimes he wears a shirt with his trunks and it just makes it look bizarre that he's not wearing pants. Yeah, I, I made a note of that, too. He looks pantless. <laughs> uh, the door is swung shut in Gino and the camera's face. Uh, almost immediately, we hear Deborah screaming behind the door, and she comes out crying and freaking out. Flair starts chasing her, but then suddenly out of the corner of his eye sees Renegade and who is presumably Joe Gomez. Right. And he and uh, Arn just start assaulting them. <laughs> so they come out to chase Deborah and forget about it just instantaneously when they see their opponents for later on this evening. Right. Uh, Deborah has run off as the assault continues. Doug Dillinger is there uh, right away, though, to try and stop the carnage. And we go back to Tony and Larry. Larry says that Deborah is clearly just trying to chase after Flair again. <laughs> Squire Dave Taylor comes out with Jeeves as Tony speculates that Joe Gomez and Renegade won't be able to participate in the main event. We see a replay of last week when Dave Taylor is part of Regal beating Hacksaw via roll-up. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is out next uh, to face Dave Taylor, and Larry says that he could have made a football player. Duggan, of course, was an outstanding football player at Southern Methodist University and was drafted to the NFL by the Atlanta Falcons before suffering a string of knee injuries that drove him from the game. I will assume that Larry knows that and is making an inside joke and not just a really stupid comment. Yeah. (laughs) 
Tony has had word that some people are willing to take on the <laughs> renegade uh, uh, Joe Gomez to take on their uh, their their place. Yeah, uh, I assume many people would take them on in the ring as they are <laughs> injured at this point. But uh, yeah, some people are going to be taking their spot. If only we almost immediately find out who they I are. Mean- <laughs> Hacksaw gets to the USA chance going. There's a lockup and some back and forth clotheslines uh, and such from Hacksaw before another USA chant as Taylor flips out on the floor. Tony tells us that Luger and Sting are the replacements to face Anderson and Flair. Whoa. Yeah, so I don't know why you wouldn't have teased out that mystery a little bit further, but uh, there you go. And uh, But he does also tell us, interestingly, that the tag titles will be on the line. Uh, so that is now... It's it's certainly more exciting than Joe Gomez and the Renegade yeah. give Flair and Arn a warm up match for the pay per view. Yeah, but but it shows us like cheaters totally prosper. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, what is the executive committee thinking? <laughs> oh, we have Renegade and Joe Gomez. We're gonna attack him backstage. <laughs> oh, okay, that's enough. You get a title match. <laughs> Taylor is whipped chest first into the corner, and he tries for a rotating flying crossbody off the second rope, but Hacksaw ducks. Hacksaw gets a big clothesline for two, but Taylor gets one foot on the ropes and seizes control with European uppercuts. Tony says uh, that a great Father's Day present this Sunday would be buying your dad the Great American Bash. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know my dad, Tony. Doesn't he, he kind of like goes on about like how the family could get around the TV and stuff like that. He's really selling that as... I love the idea that you're you're still living with your dad, but you also should order this pay-per-view that you're probably like you would need your dad's permission then, you know? Right. (laughs) For Father's Day, ask him to order the pay-per-view for you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him you'll pay for it and then just hope that when the cable bill comes, he'll forget that you were supposed to give him that (laughs) twenty nine bucks or whatever. Right. Taylor poses while Hacksaw tapes his fist. Nick Patrick sees this, but oh well, I guess. <laughs> Taylor sells the subsequent knockout punch really well, and Hacksaw gets the win. Uh, Larry protests the cheating, and Tony is just completely silent before moving back to talking about Mongo instead. Uh, this match was fine. I mean, it was it was typical Hacksaw. It was very short. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of bullshit that Regal got that win against Hacksaw last week, and it was a win that didn't help him at all. Yeah. And then they still had to have Hacksaw come out the next week and get a win off a Regal surrogate yeah. to, like, make Hacksaw whole again when he was fine the first time. Yeah, and I, I wrote – I don't remember if we've discussed this before, but I feel like um, there's cases with Duggan in which, like, they'll DQ him yeah. if he has a tape fist, and sometimes they won't DQ him. Yeah, there's the tape no fist thing, consistency for that. Absolutely. Uh, but I just I don't understand why the booking has to protect Hacksaw Jim Duggan at this point. Right. Like the crowd likes him. I'm not I'm I know that I don't care for him, but I, the crowd is definitely behind him. But yeah. you don't need to protect the character to the degree they do. Yeah. The crowd is going to love Hacksaw if he gets a cheap loss to Regal one week. He doesn't have to come out the next week and beat Regal's best buddy or whatever. It's just right. unnecessary. Yeah. All right. We then get a promo video for Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio, uh, including some footage of Rey from down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Of course, he has not appeared for WCW yet, so it's nice that they were able to give us a little taste of who this guy is and why we should be excited for that match. Yeah. Because uh, especially, you know, in 1996, it's not like a lot of American fans would have that access to AAA or whatever to see those matches. Right. Yeah, and I feel like there was something weird with the Malenko's clips in which, like, they all said last week. 
yes. in the corner. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, what what are they referring to? I don't get this. Like he wrestled like five matches in three different arenas last week. That or? was very weird. I was confused as well. Yeah. But no, I, I really liked I mean, I think it would have been would have been very easy for them to to not put a video together in which they have to get tape from AAA, but the fact that they did this, it gives more legitimacy to Rey Mysterio being like this brand new import right. that's going to come in and try to take the title. So I, th- I think this was a really good video package. We go to the locker room with Gene Bubba and Jimmy Hart. Big Bubba is still holding up a lock of hair and taking some scissors to it. I don't even think it's really Tenta's hair anymore. Well, no, but I, it's just the idea. <laughs> yeah. Then we see a replay of Tenta's Elephant Man promo from uh, <laughs> last week as well as that uh, countout match they had. Yeah. Bubba says the whole world has been laughing behind Tenta's back for years, and he just gave them a reason to laugh to his face. He also calls Tenta a beached whale. (laughs) And uh, if that promo from Tenta last week didn't kill that character, this is certainly, this isn't helping. Yeah. I also, I like the idea that, like, I mean, he's like some weird, like, new version of Bruce of Barber Beefcake. Yeah. And also... although. Brutus didn't carry the dude's hair from with yeah. him for like weeks afterward. Yeah. And and also if the fact that they emphasize this whole haircutting thing, I'm noticing that Bubba is like growing out his goatee. Yeah. Like a little bit longer, like it could get shorn at some point or another. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> so it's just like I feel it's very convenient that he has a bunch of goatee hair now. <laughs> uh coming up after a commercial, Macho is training the football guys. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, we go to commercial. When we come back, we don't get to the football guys right away because first, Gene Okerlund welcomes Scott Norton, who gives a quick little promo in the aisle. Uh, so everyone's getting a little promo time this week. Yeah. Norton took two choke slams last week, but he's back this week in our face. You know why? He don't care, and he ain't scared. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. It was. It was not a... His conviction was fine, and I would say he even had a little charisma, but the words coming out of his mouth made little to no sense. Right. (laughs) He meant well. Once Norton gets into the ring, we get the start of our little countdown to hour two with the stick of dynamite like we got last week. (laughs) The stick of dynamite. (laughs) We see a preposterous couple in the front row in what appear to be matching pink jumpsuits. And the man is absurdly tan and has his hair slicked back. Did you notice this guy? No, I missed that part. He's one of the weirdest looking people I've ever seen. Like I, I it's like you assume having seeing him that you're like, oh, this guy's gonna be like a manager in the future. Like yeah. they're showing him because he has to be a character. Right. I who knows? I, I think he legitimately just was a fan, but it was bizarre. The countdown expires and the pyro goes off, and I'm really glad that it's not mid-match this time. Yeah. This makes much more sense. Norton comes out, do the countdown, and then we'll know the Giant will come out and they'll have a match. Mm-hmm. So they've they figured out after just one week that you cannot have this whole hour two celebration during a match. <laughs> right. It's too bad they had to like learn that lesson on TV, though, <laughs> when it's like <laughs> right. when just thinking about it would have been better. Bischoff welcomes us to the hottest two hours each and every Monday night, and he tells us that WCW has redefined live television. Wow. Yeah, I think that that might be a bit of hyperbole. (laughs) Redefined live television. Yeah. (laughs) Jimmy Hart accompanies the WCW champion Giant to the ring, and uh, here to call all of the action of Scott Norton and the Giant is our own Dave Amantorp. All right. Well, this match makes a little bit more sense because it is uh, a feud from last week. Um, 
However, as a result, uh, Scott Norton, having been beaten up by the Giant, has been declared the number one contender for the World Heavyweight title. And uh, the Giant, not paying attention to his challenger, is busy talking to Jimmy Hart when the bell rings. So Scott Norton drives him into the corner on loads of forearms. The Giant quickly turns the tables and hits forearms of his own. After an Irish whip to the opposite corner, the Giant flattens Norton with a body slam. And it's, it's an impressive body slam. He picks him up and kind of tur- does a turn mm-hmm. and then drops him. But it just, how easy he makes it look is, is crazy because Norton is a big fella. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Giant puts the boot to Scott Norton's throat in the corner, but Scott is quick to turn the mash back in his favor. Uh, Norton hits two splashes in the corner, but uh, goes to the well one too many times as the Giant gets his foot up. The Giant rolls Norton out of the ring, as Bobby Heenan suggests he may be looking for a choke slam on the arena floor. So, kind of indicating that <laughs> it's like if he doesn't do it, it's to be it's to be sad. Yeah. Uh, Norton puts a halt to that plan with an eye rake, and then clubs the Giant with more forearms to the chest as he's uh, leaned up against ringside post. Could I could I say here? Uh, Bischoff says Scott Norton is a man who grew up on the streets and not the nicest streets. <laughs> Like, in case we thought he grew up on, like, streets lined with mansions or something. <laughs> right. And, and then... That made him the man he is today. And then, of course, because uh, they both came from, uh, or or at least spent time in the Minneapolis era, he then says, over there on Hennepin Avenue, which at the time was, if, if you went to a certain stretch of Northeast Minneapolis, was kind of tough. But now when he says he grew up, he's talking about the mean streets of Hennepin Avenue. Yeah. It just makes me think that that's the section of Uptown that has, like, the Apple Store. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's not a, not a threatening part of town. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> oh, I, he was probably there getting some Asian fusion food. <laughs> like. Um, all right, so Scott Norton has the giant leaned up against the ringside post. He, he backs up to the barricade in an attempt to hit a splash, uh, but the giant moves as Flash hits the ring post hard. And now we get what Heenan promised, a choke slam on the floor. The giant rolls the big man back in the ring, where the three count is academic. Um, it was the match was only a few minutes long, but I thought it was pretty exciting. Both guys kind of like went all out as far as like power display is yeah. concerned. Um, certainly, as far as the giants concerned, it, it was better. It was, they did a better job of letting him like display some wrestling moves. Sure. Besides, just like choke slamming someone. I will say that this is the second time. Uh, that Norton and the Giant have faced each other on Nitro. And the first time, Norton had that huge inverted atomic drop. Yeah, that's and right. And that, I think he got a lot more uh, for himself out of just that one move than anything that happens in this match. Yeah. Um. So, unfortunately, I thought it was fine, but unfortunately, it just it didn't have, like, a moment where at least it showed how freakishly strong Norton is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he could have used that since he's... Got his he got his ass kicked last week and he's losing this week. Yeah, and he's supposed to be wrestling on the pay per view. You know, I would have given him a little bit more uh, to to get me to invest in the Scott Norton character. Yeah, and like you said, that these two have had a match before, and that match uh, for what it is that played off really well. Yeah. And so there is a comparison to make, and this one is not nearly as good as the other one. After the match, Giant attacks Norton, but Luger makes the save. Giant tosses Luger to the outside, and they fight in the aisle. Giant clears the VIP table like he's going to put Luger through it again, uh, as he did a few weeks ago. But Luger kicks Giant in the balls and nails him with this, uh, like a champagne chilling bucket. Yeah. Uh, Giant screams in anger and heads to the back. But Luger... Uh, 
Giant screams in anger and heads to the back. Luger, meanwhile, makes his way to the announce booth, where he grabs a mic and cuts a short promo on how he has a lot more surprises for the Giant on Sunday. Yeah, we got some weird choices that kind of happened here uh, as far as this brawl is concerned. Um, For one thing, uh, the Dungeon of Doom, when they came down to tend to the Giant, they all just ran right by Luger. Yeah, I didn't even honestly notice they were there. Like, yeah. I don't think I had them in my notes at all because I didn't <laughs> I didn't notice they came out. And the other thing is the giant, when he heads back to backstage, he's heading after Luger. Right. But Luger clearly went to the right to the announcer's table. Yeah. He should have. He looks really dumb. <laughs> yeah, I guess he just, his balls hurt so bad. I just figured he'd go into rest him somewhere. <laughs> Little, well, probably a giant pillow. Uh, once, once he's arrested, I'll get you, Luger. <laughs> a very young, clean-cut babyface makes his way to the ring in blue pants and a black jacket with silver lightning bolts on it. Peter Allen Gruner Jr., better known as Billy Kidman, is only two years uh, removed from his wrestling debut, uh, making his Nitro debut here as Kidman. He was trained uh, by one half of the Wild Samoans and has mostly wrestled on the Indies as part of a tag team uh, with partner Ace Darling before getting snapped up uh, by WCW and used mostly as a jobber on B and C shows. Yeah. It's, it's funny to say that like Kidman's only been wrestling for two years when they bring out guys that have like two matches. Right. Their, yes. So he's like a veteran in comparison. <laughs> uh, William, excuse me, Steven Regal is out to pick him on, uh, take him on. Bischoff tries to make the following joke at uh, Bobby's expense. So I'm going to tell you what the joke was meant to be. Okay. If you could pedal frontwards as quickly as you backpedaled last week when Macho said he'd coach the other team, you would win a gold medal in bike racing. Okay, okay. that's oh. a dumb joke, but I get it. Yeah. But what he instead he he fucks up, he switches backpedaling and front pedaling. Yeah. And then he realizes he's doing it and says, "Excuse me," and then starts the joke over again. And then every <laughs> time he has to say either front or back, there's a 10-second pause while he thinks of which one he needs to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really funny hearing him try so carefully to get the joke right the yeah. second go around. To start the match, Regal takes control with a cheap shot and some kicks and a European uppercut or two. Regal drops a knee and whips Kidman off the ropes, but Kidman gets a drop kick and a sunset flip for two. Kidman walks up the second rope and gets a tornado bulldog. Is there a name for that other than like a tornado bulldog? You know, like a tornado DDT where you do the little walk around the ropes, oh. but it's a bulldog instead of a DDT. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it has its own name. I don't think so. Kidman goes to the top rope and uh, actually goes for a 450, but yeah. Regal moves out of the way. On his feet, Regal does a bizarre little dance that I think I've seen as a gif on a number of occasions, but I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I think it's to symbolize that like Kidman is out of it because he missed it. I don't know. I He's, he's just... This guy misses a 450, and then Regal just kind of like stumbles and blinks while smiling. It's it's very strange. I felt like he was dancing in celebration of how smart he was for moving out of the way. That could be. <laughs> that could very well be. Bischoff says that he landed right on his head, and Heenan says, well, that's okay. <laughs> Regal then gets the submission win with a stump puller. Sting runs down and backhands Regal, just like Regal did to Sting a yeah. few weeks ago on main event. And Regal pulls some faces and demands fisticuffs, but Sting is long gone. <laughs> Before we go to commercial, we get a bumper promo with the Nasties talking about uh, how they're going to dismantle Public Enemy. And when we come back, we will get that match as Bischoff hypes the pay-per-view as the Nasty Boys make their way to the ring. Before the bell, Public Enemy runs to the ring and starts the attack. 
Bischoff basically calls you an idiot if you thought this would be a wrestling match because it's going to be a brawl. <laughs> Rocco Rock is noticeably limping and Johnny Grunge has a cast on his arm, so they're hurting from something or other. Uh, we start off with split screen brawling on the outside. Sags hits the weakest looking punchy slaps I've ever seen. <laughs> Public Enemy are wearing the dumbest looking matching shorts and hockey jerseys with like orange and red and green and yellow and just random zigzags. Yeah. They're just hideous. The crowd chants for the nasties and Public Enemy yells at him as apparently Public Enemies are just full heels now. We go to commercial, but not before Sags hits a huge pile driver, which is really one of the only moves in this match so far. Yeah. And it's completely meaningless and not mentioned by the announcers because we're just going to commercial. Right. Uh, we do get during the commercials the news that Glacier is still coming to WCW. Man, the blood runs so oh, cold. My blood's freezing. <laughs> Public Enemy try to get the crowd to wave their hands in the air like they just don't care, uh, but most of the crowd seems to care because they refuse to wave their arms. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> most of the crowd just boo. Uh, well, I should say some of the crowd boos, and most of the crowd uh, does nothing at all. <laughs> um, at some point, uh, according to Bobby Heenan, that the Great American Bash is going to be better than any Super Bowl. Oh, wow. And that he would pay up to $5,000 to watch it on TV. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I'm like, <laughs> it's a little bit, I feel like he's patronizing us just a little bit. <laughs> and, that, and he suggested that, you know, anyone might show up, including Dennis Rodman or Sidney Crawford. Oh, wow. I, I really running the gamut of guest stars there. <laughs> I don't know. Were were they like a couple or something like that? That was the only thing, reason why I would think. I don't mention. think so, but it's not like it would surprise me. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Rocco Rock suddenly runs off <laughs> and uh, the camera cuts to Johnny Grunge, who's unraveling some of his cast because I guess both of them want to do inexplicable things. <laughs> Rock uh, suddenly comes back to the ring holding a trash can. Uh, but Nobbs hits him with it in full view of the ref, who does nothing. <laughs> yes. Seggs hits a pump handle uh, slam, though he is not the legal man. The ref also does nothing. Nobbs then looks to come off the top rope, but is weakly nailed, quote unquote, by Grunge's arm. <laughs> so why would he take part of the cast off and then use the cast as a weapon? I, it, it boggles the mind. <laughs> right. He made it softer and then attacked somebody with it. <laughs> Rocco gets a two count. More garbage follows. Rocco eventually goes to the top but is hit by the trash can. Nick Patrick uses that moment to call for the bell. Because <laughs> why not? And DQs the nasties. Uh, so Public Enemy wins by disqualification. I skipped a lot of that because it sucked. It was really, yeah. really bad. Garbage wrestling of the highest order. Like, yeah. I can get down with good garbage wrestling, but bad mm -hmm. garbage wrestling. I mean, there's a reason garbage is in the name. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that was terrible. Yes. It went on for about 10 minutes, and I just hated it. Yeah. I, I mean, it was one of those where I refused to take detailed notes because I was just like, no. <laughs> nope. Right. No, I mean, it's it's basically, okay, someone hits the barricade. Okay, someone's out of ring. And, yeah. And you could just tell that all four of them just have no clue they're just making up they're, as they go along, and it doesn't. It just there's no pacing, yeah. anything like that. It's just like you guys go out there, you brawl, and then Nick Patrick, you call the DQ on the nasties. I mean, it was it was really the worst excesses of that sort of mid '90s 
uh, well, mid to late '90s to early 2000s, yeah, uh, extreme style, yeah. Like there's there are true extreme matches that are crazy and have all sorts of stuff in them. They they tend to forget psychology, but they're fun. But there was a lot of extreme quote unquote matches that are just awful to watch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this was one of them. Yeah. Then we get the exact same Hogan video package that we saw last week with uh, uh, Made in America. What the fuck is this? Song? Real American? No, Real, real American. Oh, no, that's the old one. What's the WCW one? Um, American Made. Yeah. He's American, American Made. Uh, we get with him beating up Vader the exact same shit we saw mm-hmm. last week. They didn't. They didn't change a thing about Man, it. Man, I was really close to forgetting about Hogan since last week. <laughs> I'm so happy they reminded me that that he's a thing. Not that he's coming back. Yeah, it's just that he's a thing. Yeah, Hogan exists. Yeah, we get a, a training montage again with Mongo and Kevin Green and their new coach, the Macho Man. This, uh, this, <laughs> this package has some really weird steel guitar music playing over it. <laughs> They chose the weirdest music to score this, and and I'll play an audio clip at least a little bit so you can hear it. Macho Man is then in the gym helping the footballers learn the ropes. Literally, he's like pointing at the ropes and saying, these are the ropes. (laughs) (laughs) They They are quite literally learning the ropes. Right. You can't be too intense, says Macho. And I believe 100% that Macho Man believes that to be true. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Out comes Luger and Sting to take on Arn and Flair. And here to tell you all about that matchup is our own Dave Amantorp. Yeah, so we have gotten a lot of Sting and Lex Luger in this show. This was the Sting and Luger show. Um, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson are the second to come out. And I'm just... Made the note that, uh, in particular, Miss Elizabeth looked really good that night. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll give her that. All right. Uh, so the bell rings as Ric Flair bounces off the ropes, struts up to Sting, and pushes him. Uh, Sting pushes back, but and his knocks Flair over, of course. Uh, a lot of standing around and talking before. We, uh, it seems like we're going to settle on Flair and Luger starting this bout. Um, at this point, the bell is rung again. I think the timekeeper forgot that the bell was rung in the first place or he was also getting impatient because there was a lot of posturing at the beginning of this match. It looks like we're going to get the traditional uh, collar and elbow tie-up, but uh, Ric Flair kicks Luger instead and backs him into the corner. Ooh. Yeah, he's mixing it up. (laughs) He delivers a flurry of chops, but Luger counters by flexing before hitting a press slam. Lex Luger, everyone. A couple of clotheslines later, we get Arn in the ring, but Luger hits him with a back elbow as Sting boxes Flair's ears. The horsemen scatter to ringside to regroup. Back in the ring, Flair converts a collar and elbow tie-up to a headlock, but Luger sends him in the rope and hits a shoulder block. Flair tries his luck again off the ropes and receives press slam number two. Luger flexes some more as Flair begs off in the corner. It's just painful. Yeah. It's painful detailing Luger matches. I, all right, what was he done so far? Flex, press slam, flex, press slam. <laughs> uh, Flair begs off in the corner, but Lex Irish whips him across the ring where Flair flips over the turnbuckle and is dropped onto the ring apron with a stink punch. Uh, I noted that Sting, there, he, he pauses for like half a second too long before punching him, and Flair just kind of stands there like an idiot waiting to get punched. Right. Um, I mean... And I just think it's funny that when he falls onto the apron, he looks defeated. He looks yes. completely defeated. <laughs> Luger brings Flair back into the ring with a delayed suplex. 
Uh, Luger comes off the rope for an elbow drop, but Flair moves. At this point, I realize that Luger is at peak screaming in this match. Oh, yeah. Flair tags an Arn, who tries to catch Luger with a back body drop, but gets kicked in the chops instead. And Luger tags in Sting while Arn bags off. And here we go with a collar and elbow tie up in the corner, where Flair gains, uh, Arn gains the advantage and hits a succession of shoulder thrusts. Irish whip to the opposite corner and Sting moves, but Arn pulls himself up short in the turnbuckles himself. At this point, Arn points to the brain, letting you know he's really smart for doing that, but then turns around and gets punched right in the face. Arn tries to call a timeout as Sting and Flair exchange trash talk. Or pleasantries. I mean, I can't really read their <laughs> lips. I don't know what they're saying. Um, I also, I feel like, because Arn Anderson does a couple of times where he tries to call for a timeout, mm-hmm. they should... I feel like the announcer should have jumped on that as far as like you can do that in football, but not in wrestling. Uh, but they just, they they just miss an opportunity there. Uh, anyway, when his, he does get the call timeout, he instead goes into a collar elbow tie up, which turns into an Art Anderson wrist lock. And he pulls Sting down by the mat to the mat by the hair. Uh, Sting kips up, arm pulls him down, Sting kips up again. Headlock by Arn is countered into an Irish whip where Arn knocks Sting down with a shoulder block. Off the rope, Sting drops to the mat. Off the rope, Sting leapfrogs before it kicked in the gut, followed by the head smash into the... (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rick Flair gets in the ring only to be press slammed for the third time this match. Flair waits to be clotheslined over the top rope, but when Sting does not comply, he just simply rolls out of the ring. <laughs> He's totally weighty. It's like he expected it, but Sting just wasn't paying attention, so he just he just scattered instead. Uh, Flair runs to the banquet table where he lifts up the table a little bit and then decides he's going to grab a chair, and then he just kind of like drops it halfway back to the ring. Yeah. Uh, but that was enough for Luger to just grab a chair of his own and rush into the ring. <laughs> so we have a chair stalemate. After we have a commercial break, we return as Sting hits Arn Anderson with an atomic drop. Uh, Arn's momentum propels him towards Luger, who gets in a cheap shot. Arn staggers into Sting boxing his ears, then staggers into Luger boxing his ears. His equilibrium is thoroughly compromised as he falls on his face. Sting with a nonchalant cover only to get a two, and Arn tags in Ric Flair. At this point, we get a really great camera shot of Ric Flair looking at Sting with just like fury in his eyes. Sting feigns a test of strength before they engage in a collar and elbow tie-up. <laughs> Flair hits a knee in the gut, then backs the Stinger into the corner for some chops. The chops have no effect as Sting whips Flair across the ring. However, the Nature Boy manages to move when Sting comes in for a Stinger splash. After a snapmare, Flair heads to the top ropes, where I see nothing but success in his future. <laughs> oh. Never mind. Oh, Sting really? catches him and press slams him to the ring, to which Eric Bischoff declares, slam dunk. <laughs> uh, Sting scales the ropes himself and, hit, uh, and hits a flying clothesline. However, he's too close to the opponent's corner and arm pulls him off the pin attempt by the hair. Wow. Un- yeah. Dick. Un- <laughs> what a dick. Being a real dick, Arn. <laughs> Arn, come on. Arn, stop being such a dick. However, Sting was undeterred, and he carried Flair over to his corner, where after some resistant ma- resistance, manages to hit a superplex. A pin attempt is broken up by Anderson, and while referee An- Randy Anderson, no relation, ushers him <laughs> and Luger back to the respective corners, Flair pokes Sting in the eye. 
there's a weird moment here where Randy Anderson, uh, when Luger and An- when Luger and Anderson came in the ring, Randy Anderson kneels on top of Flair and Sting as though like shielding them from outside interference. Hmm, I didn't pick up on that. I guess. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I just made the note that Randy Anderson often does the really weird and awkward things in the ring. Anyway, Flair. Uh, anyway, Arn is tagged in and he chokes Sting on the middle ropes. An Irish whip off the ropes, and we get the classic Arn Anderson spine buster, but Sting manages to kick out a two. There's a test of wills as Arn uh, keeps driving Sting's shoulders to the mat, but after a few kicks up, kick outs, uh, Arn attempts to drive his knees into Sting's gut, but Sting get, gets his knees up into Arn's balls. Arn tags in Flair, who chops Sting down for a two count. Flair tries to suplex Sting, but his back is too injured as he falls to the mat. I'm not sure when he injured his back, but he sells it like he has broken something. A distracted Stinger is then easily caught from behind by Arn for for a hangman on the top rope. And then Flair, at this point, I I realize he might have been faking the back injury, Mm -hmm. grabs Sting for atomic drop, but Sting flips and rolls Flair up. Arn breaks out the pin attempt as Bobby Heenan screams about being a perfect opportunity to hit a DDT. And you know what? That was really good advice, actually. Flair goes for the figure four, but Sting counters in a small package uh, that only gets a two as Randy Anderson was too busy talking to Lex Luger about something. Arn is in now and starts to work on Sting's knee as we hit a commercial break. Uh, right before we hit the commercial break, Heenan tries to bribe Eric Bischoff with 50 bucks so he can go to ringside. But apparently, Precious Bischoff is better than 50 bucks, <laughs> Which is weird because Heenan went to ringside last week and there was no issue. Right. And now he's offering money to go to ringside and he's rejected. After the break, we return to Ric Flair throwing Sting into the ringside guardrail. He then hits a chop, then hits the ring, allowing Sting to get back in on his own accord. Uh, Sting battles back and hits a sunset flip for a two count. So the two are down and Flair is up first and gets a headlock takedown, countered by a scissor lock, countered by a pin attempt, countered into both men bridging out a said pin attempt, countered by a second attempt at the bridge attempt because they couldn't get it done the first time, countered by Ric Flair going down in a backslide, which I always love, but oh wait, he got the tag into Arn, who breaks up the subsequent backslide pin attempt. Man, Flair's really getting in all the hits uh, <laughs> yes. this week. Yep. After body slamming Sting, Arn for some reason tries a Vader splash from the middle turnbuckle, but get hit but gets hit with knees to the gut on the way down. Now we reach gut check time. Sting stumbles and tags in Luger, who is a house of fire against Ric Flair, hitting press slam number four against the Nature Boy. Both Anderson and Flair receive clotheslines for, before Luger body slams Flair for a two count broken by, up by Arn, who was still in the ring, so I don't know why he's going for a pin attempt. The Horsemen's attempt to double team and backfires as Luger clotheslines both men over the top rope. Uh, again, it's one of those momentum things, or maybe not, or, or it's a DQs or whatever. Right. Anyway, as it happens, a giant uh, has made his way to the ring with Jimmy Hart, and he does not hesitate to get into the ring to fight his great American Bass challenger. Luger unloads the punches as the referee calls for the bell with a DQ victory. Ooh. That was a lot of action to call. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> I'm starting to realize that maybe summarizing a little bit more is maybe in the cards. <laughs> but uh, um, And I realize I just need to give you all the long matches. <laughs> uh, so after the match, Luger takes it to the giant who comes back with a big forearm. He screams and Scott Steiner shows up with two wooden chairs. Scott uh, hits one with the giant and Stinger grabs the other. 
Lugersting and Steiner take on the giant, who all of a sudden just spins around in a goofy circle. Yeah. <laughs> He does. Which somehow works. <laughs> and the baby faces back off. Yeah. Giant and Jimmy Hart choose to retreat, and we see the weirdly tanned guy I mentioned earlier uh, <laughs> has a sign that says, the war is on. And actually, I know this is going to be meaningless for our audience, but uh, I remember that I took a screenshot of this guy and his wife. This is a human being who attended WCW along with his wife. Wait, which one's the guy? Which one's the guy? I believe that's a guy. <laughs> Look wow. at how tan he is. And he's wearing uh, a gold chain uh-huh. and this pink. I'm going to tweet this. Uh, I'll try to remind myself on uh, whenever we release this episode. Yeah. This is just the most bizarre two people I've ever. And they're in, this is in West Virginia? This is not what I imagined people in West Virginia looking <laughs> right. like. Like if this were in Miami, I guess I'd be like, okay. Yeah. But this is, it's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Gene Okerlund is there with a mic, and he tries to ask a question, but the giant screams at Luger, and I think he says that their match on Sunday should be no disqualification, um, but I'm not sure if that really is the case. I'm not sure if it's what he says or if that's what happens to the match, but it sounded like what he was screaming about. Yeah. Bischoff then tries talking, but Heenan flips out and yells at the camera that the world is wrong if they think Savage is going to get his hands on old Bobby on Sunday. (laughs) I, he doesn't say that. I, I just phrased that. Right, yeah. Heenan suddenly looks scared and completely bails. Bischoff turns around to see Scott Hall standing there and lets go to an audio clip. i tell you what. It happens when you count down no, to a major... let me tell you something. Let me tell the world something. Savage is out there watching. Do you think you're going to tear me apart? Put your dirty, dirty hands around my body at the Great American Bash. You, you, and this whole world is wrong. I don't have any beef with you. I didn't take money from Flair that was filtered through your ex-wife to give to me. You're badly mistaken. I wear glasses. I don't want to be touched or bothered. Sounds to me like Bobby Heenan, you are backpedaling. You are really backpedaling now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't want any trouble with you. I don't want any trouble with you here now. But I have to point out, you came out here last week. Where is it? The big surprise. I mean, I heard a lot of talk, but where's the walk? What? I'm here. Where is it? You've been sitting out here for six months, running your mouth. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. Now he said last week that he was gonna bring somebody out here. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. And you know why? Because nobody wants to face us. This show's about as interesting as Marge shot 
reading excerpts from Mein Kampf. Yeah, no trouble, because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You what, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Yeah, where's Hogan? Where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? Where's the macho man, huh? Doing some Slim Jim commercial? Hey, we're here. You wanna say something? Look, I don't have the authority right here, right now. You wanna fight? Fight is it with me. You want three guys? Tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, I'm gonna be in Atlanta. I'll be in the offices of WCW. I'll try and get you your fight. And you know what? Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up. I'll see if I can get you your fight. I don't know about you, but hey, they love us in Baltimore. Hey, hey big man, I say me and you, we'd be at the Bash. Maybe these punks want to fight. Yeah. I'll be there. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. So Bischoff says that he doesn't want any trouble, and he's all—he's doing the like cartoonish thing where he's very smug that there's no surprise. Yeah. Well, the big surprise is clearly right behind him. Right. Uh, so the camera pulls out, and we see WWF's Diesel, aka Kevin Nash, standing behind Bischoff. Hall points, but Bischoff doesn't turn because he's too busy being so smug. <laughs> right. Oh, what are you pointing at? All oh, the nothing that's definitely <laughs> behind me. I'm not falling for that <laughs> trick. It's so ridiculous. Of course, he finally does turn and is so scared when he sees Kevin Nash that he backs up sitting on the announce table. Nash yells at Bischoff for running his mouth for the past six months. This is where the big boys play, he asks rhetorically, and then invites us to look at the adjective play, which is, of course, a verb. Right. <laughs> Nash tells Bischoff he doesn't have three people because nobody wants to face them. Uh... It's interesting that no one would want to face them since they didn't even know that Nash was there. Right. And they still don't know who the third man is. <laughs> yes. He says Nitro is about as interesting as Marge Schott reading excerpts from Mein Kampf, which is a very bizarre reference to then-owner of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team, Marge Schott, who infamously called some of her own players the N-word, claimed the only men who wore earrings were fruits, said Hitler started off as a good thing for Germany, had a copy of Mein Kampf in her nightstand, and said she didn't know why the term Jap was offensive, among many other racist statements and notable controversies. <laughs> nice. Anyway, it's a very odd time, needless to say, to bring her up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I... I I really don't understand. I, I'm assuming that Nash was given the freedom that Hall was a couple weeks ago yeah. to say what he wanted, and that's the snappy that's... pop culture repartee that he came up with. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff he wanted to talk about. 
in, in much better lines, Nash says that Bischoff couldn't get a paleontologist to dust off some of the fossils in WCW to face them. Mm-hmm. He then wonders if they couldn't get enough guys off dialysis to field a team. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now we're talking. Yeah. Like, you should have led with this stuff. Yeah. Where's Hogan, Nash asks, out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Bischoff says that tomorrow morning he'll go to the WCW offices and try to get them their match. I don't know why. Why would he acquiesce to that? I guess just because he's intimidated by them. Uh, that was my that was my guess, but it's, it's it's just like, yeah, we know where you're going with this. Yeah. And live this Sunday at the Great American Bash, if Nash and Hall show up, Bischoff will try to get them their fight. The measuring stick just changed around here, says Nash, and you're looking at it. That's a great line. Yeah. I think uh, that that's really, really effective. Yeah. I've, I've always been a big, big fan of that line. And they also mentioned that uh, Kevin Nash mentions that in Baltimore, they have a lot of fans, which, of course, New England area, sure. WWF territory. So, you know, really selling the idea that they're still with WWF. Yeah. Very smart. Uh, they kind of ruffle Bischoff a little bit and pose for the crowd. And Bischoff does the like... Uh, hand across the throat, like, cut gesture to the director to end the show. Right. And end the show he does. <laughs> uh, let's go to an audio clip. I want to play this a little bit of a shoot interview. Here's Kevin Nash talking about his decision uh, to leave the WWF. He gave his notice, and because we were, I mean, you know, at this point, we were already, like, inseparable. And uh, I started wearing his shirt oh, gosh. every TV. I kept, wearing, I kept wearing that purple razor shirt that he had. Which is like, then then everybody was. Yeah. Sean, Sean got hot. Yeah. Because he was dead. Why is everybody everybody wearing his shirt? I remember talking to Kevin, going, Kev, man, I'm leaving. And you went, I'm staying. That was before you had that match with Brett in the cage when Taker came up to the. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I was going to stay. And then we had the match. um, It was like an in your house, I think it was in Louisville. And um, I had, at the Royal Rumble, um, Taker had uh, Brett beat. And I fucked him. So then Taker came back in the next one, and I should have had, uh, what I want to do is have to go ahead and, the cage. and po- yeah, powerbomb Brett as I walk to go open the cage, have Taker grab me and pull me in. But he came up from underneath. Yeah, sweet. right. He came, but, but he, you know, Brett wouldn't let me stick him with my finish to where it would have been a clear win for me. And because, but it would have it would have taken me and Mark's angle to the next level because I would have cost him the championship. He would have cost me the championship. We were talking about doing business because we knew at this point we were going to be co-main event at WrestleMania 12. And uh, Brett was already going to be in the main event, and Brett always already had the angle with with Sean because they were going 60 minutes. And Brett just fucking boo boo face, boo boo face. We're sitting in this room, and he goes, and Brett kept going, "What's in it for me? What's in it for me?" And fucking Taker, who never, never really goes off, goes, "Motherfucker, this isn't about you. It's about me and Kev. It makes our match better. I don't want to do it." So I, you know, and I, we just went back and forth. I walked right down. He was standing by the Scott was standing by the apron. I walked right down. I said, "I'm fucking out of here." Tell Bischoff I'm coming too. Because <laughs> then I went, oh, good. <laughs> just by coincidence, our contracts ended within a day's each. Yeah, well, I think we're 13 days apart. But well, I had been there a couple years or a year or so before. But and I remember going, and you have this contract with WCW that's private, can't show it to anybody confident. So I went, well, if you go, and then I had this favorite nations clause where they said, this is all we can afford. This is it. 
we won't mind putting that in writing then we uh, so if anybody else comes in and gets paid more and gets more perks you got you gotta match it for right. me so then they said well list we can't do anybody list 10 guys top 10 guys in the business you think right so kevin's one of my guys so i said kev this is what i'm getting if you come in try to get, get more, more get more <laughs> So we went in and then, yeah, then it was a situation where then we, we came in and got over. And then we so there you go. I'm sure there were a lot of factors at play, but it is interesting to hear uh, Nash say that he had wanted to stay, but was driven out by being sick of dealings with Bret Hart's fucking ego bullshit. And I love Bret Hart, and I'd rather have Bret Hart around than Kevin Nash, but it's still it's still probably a true story. <laughs> but, and, but it's like, you know... For Kevin Nash to say someone else has a big ego. That's very true. You know, it, it's true. a matter of like, it's one guy's word against another guy's word. So anyway, we will have a full breakdown uh, introduction of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. I realize that I haven't given them the proper introductions I do for everyone, but I'm saving those for their in-ring debut. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I'm just kind of keeping them as sort of quasi-mysterious uh, outsiders at this point. But we will eventually give them full rundowns. Dave, what was your match or segment of the night? Um, I would say, uh, for segment, I would do the, the ending segment with, uh, with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Um, the previous couple of weeks, uh, with Scott Hall, it, you got more in the impression that he was, uh, an annoyance Yeah, that he was coming in just to kind of like make a mockery of WCW. But now with, uh, diesel slash Kevin Nash coming in and like doing a really good, uh, intimidating promo mm -hmm. that I felt had the right amount of like anger from him. Right. And also arrogance of like how they can destroy their top guys. I feel like this is a much more formidable, uh, invasion now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would give that segment. I thought that segment went really well. And, uh, I would, at the time I would, I would be looking forward to great American bash just to see those guys show up. Yeah. I think in, um, 2017 that that promo mostly gets used as an opportunity to make fun of kevin nash for saying look at the adjective and that's yeah. funny don't get yeah. me wrong especially because nash considers himself the smartest coolest guy in the room yeah so it's funny that his huge debut in wcw he botched like basically what type of word is this yeah <laughs> so that is funny but but focusing on that uh, humor kind of obfuscates the fact that it was a very effective segment and promo mm -hmm. uh, and that the promo had some great lines. It did have some weird pop culture references that were unnecessary. Well, one, it's not like the whole thing was like that. <laughs> right. Um, but overall, it was a very good promo. And I, I really, like you said, I believe that it really made this invasion something um, to be legitimate, you know, it legitimized the idea. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it points to kind of the future of these characters where, Hall is kind of an annoyance, uh, and Nash is the shit kicker. Like it, yeah. it's really the dynamic that these two have going forward. Yeah, like, um, like from the beginning, Scott Hall was making fun of people because he's like, "I'm gonna have the big guy to defend me." Right. Yep. Uh, for my match tonight, I'm gonna go with Scott Steiner and Booker T in that opener. I thought that was a good match. Uh, good athleticism. Uh, you got you know Hoss, a uh, big Hoss. You got um. You got a big Haas and Steiner who's very muscular but still can move mm -hmm. very well, especially at this stage of his career. And Booker T, who is certainly um, not short on muscles but also uh, very, very athletic. Yeah. So that was a good match. Uh, for my MVP, I'm going to give it to Sting, 
who had two matches and a run-in uh, when he came in and slapped <laughs> Regal. So Sting all over the show. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Who is your MVP? Uh, my MVP is going to go to uh, Kevin Nash for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Uh, again, you know, I feel like it's a much more formidable challenge. And, you know, obviously there were some gaffes there in his in his promo, but, like, in comparison to some of the other promos you hear, like, it, it, it's it's still pretty good. And um, and he he had some once he got to making fun of how old the WCW guys are. Yeah. Then he had some like really good burns. But uh, I, I feel like he might have tried to memorize too many like key points that he just like really biffed on. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I felt like it's a really good promo. I felt like the direction of this invasion suddenly I'm a lot more interested now, yep. now that there's two guys. And, and who is that third one? I mean, if the second one is Kevin Nash. Yeah. What is this building towards? Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I think any anyone could agree at that time that, like, Diesel was a bigger commodity than Razor Ramon. Yes. Um, so I mean, he's a former world champion, multi-time. Yeah. Um, correct. He was a multi-time WWF world champion, right? Oh, no, just the one time. But oh, okay. He, he, okay, had, okay. he held it for a year, though. So. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, so they, they go from Razor Ramon, and then the next guy is Diesel, and then the next guy you would just think is even bigger, so... It, I think it's playing off really well, especially since we, we're going to eventually get into who the third man is being a big focus. Yeah. Um, Vince McMahon. It's Vince McMahon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in our raw results in King of the Ring qualifying, Owen Hart defeated Yokozuna. Uh, also in King of the Ring qualifying, Mark Marrow defeated Skip. And Davy Boy defeated The Undertaker via countout. In the ratings roundup, uh, Raw got a 2.7, and Nitro, surprisingly, 2.6. Oh. Uh, So a virtual tie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this kind of, you were wondering last week if last week was the start of the uh, streak, and it was not. Oh, okay. Uh, Nitro actually did not win this week, so that's interesting. What was the, I was mentioning earlier, what was the hourly? I was hoping you wouldn't ask, because I don't have (laughs) it. Oh, dang. (laughs) Well, I mean... No, those, that rating is not very good, so I can't imagine there was a big discrepancy between right. the two hours. In our wrestling news from around uh, the world, on June 7th, Brian Pillman signed a three-year deal with the WWF. Uh, Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer has a great write-up on how Pillman has used the last several months to position himself as one of the most talked-about guys in wrestling and a top star that everybody wants, despite the fact that he hasn't main-evented any pay-per-views or proved to be a big draw on television or pay-per-view. Pillman is basically just uses his whole article to talk about what genius Pillman is mm-hmm. for getting himself this all this attention and this payday, despite not really proving that there's an audience who demands to see him. Not only that, but he hasn't. He's not even wrestling, right? Because he's injured, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He because he had that horrible car wreck. Yeah. yeah. Pillman was very close to signing a deal with WCW, a three-year deal that would have ended up paying him over a million dollars during that period. But Pillman became upset that the contract that was presented to him had a clause that they had not discussed previously, which gave WCW the right to renew or terminate the contract every 90 days. So essentially every three months they had an out. Um, wow. And, and no, <laughs> that, that, I could see him being upset with that. Right. Uh, Bischoff allegedly thought that it was just a negotiating point that they could kind of work around, but Pillman was so pissed about it that he went out to McMahon and ended up working out a contract, uh, the exact details of which are not known because uh, Titan was a little more tight-lipped about things. <laughs> Meltzer gets a lot more information out of Turner yeah. executives or whoever his sources are yeah. than he does uh, out of Vince's crew. 
Also on June 7th at a house show in Buffalo, New York, uh, the biggest gate in the history of WCW. Billed as a tribute show to local deceased wrestler, wrestler Ilio DePaulo, uh, F- Bischoff actually mentions it on this show that they're having this Ilio DePaulo memorial show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the final event at the Buffalo War Memorial Auditorium. About 15,000 fans paid $193,000. Wow. <laughs> kind of interestingly enough, uh, though it was WCW's biggest gate of all time, it was not even the biggest gate of the weekend as the WWF pulled in $230,000 with a huge Chicago house show. <laughs> that's just, that's so WCW, the biggest gate in yeah. their history, and it's not even the biggest gate of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next, I want to just uh, quote verbatim a section of the Observer that I, I just found funny. Okay. So this is this is Dave. It was amazing on WCW Saturday night when the Steiners, Norton, and Ice Train did an interview. Train's arms are so huge they actually make Norton and Rick Steiner look small and even dwarf Scott's bowling ball biceps. Speaking of Scott, if you're wondering how he looks the way he does, it's because he has great genetics. Also, guys who haven't signed contracts, which the Steiners haven't, don't get tested. As for the guys who have signed contracts that are so big and ripped at the same time nowadays in comparison with the WWF guys, WCW simply draws its wrestlers from a more gifted gene pool. <laughs> and if you ask why those same guys were in WWF and they were smaller then, I guess some guys in their late 30s and early 40s can actually make great improvements in their physique through cultivating their enormous genetic potential, which they were unable to do in WWF because they weren't as happy. <laughs> If you buy that, Meltzer closes, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> he he kind of bangs on a lot about uh, the lack of a real drug testing program in WCW, and I guess this week he was just feeling kind of snotty about it. Yeah. So he wrote up that little paragraph, which I found pretty funny. Uh, and last in our news section, uh, just I think given the benefit of hindsight, this will be funny to people. In a radio interview promoting that big Chicago house show, uh, Sh- Shawn Michaels was asked about Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. He said that Flair was once his idol, but some people just don't don't know when. T- oh, <laughs> yeah, kind of funny considering that it's about a decade from now that Shawn Michaels will quote unquote retire Ric right. Flair. Whew. Well, there you go. That's all our news and all our WCW. Dave, uh, overall, what did you think of the show this week? Um, well, I thought it was all right. Um, I I feel like they did a lot of good things as far as hyping up the Great American Bash, especially uh, the Luger Giant match. Uh, pretty pretty good for uh, the Steiner brothers. Um, oh, and Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, too. Um there's a lot of compelling matches, I feel, at the Great American Bash, which is a great contrast to Slamboree, which I could have cared less about with the whole lethal lottery and the and the quote unquote random teams. Yeah. Um so and and again, I I really feel like this this uh this episode helped a lot for the invasion in which uh, I'm generally interested in in that um the segment that's going to have Hall and Ash at the Great American Bash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, at this point, at this point, I, if as a fan in 1996, I would assume the third man would be revealed at Great American Bash. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree that they very much have led you to believe that. Yes. They're certainly hoping you buy Great American Bash 
thinking uh, with the hopes that you're going to get something that they know they're not going to provide you. It's a little scummy, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, throwing them in there at the very end like that is just it's just kind of like you know, uh, yeah, I get it. It's it's trying to get a little bit of a pop on the on the buy rates with Hall and Ash, but you know, like I said, the impression I'm getting is like why would you have them on there if you're not going to reveal who the third person is or like the, at least the match they're going to have. Right. Uh, I would say that uh, I thought it was a pretty good show for a go-home show. Uh, I think they did a decent job, like you said, of selling the pay-per-view. Uh, there's certainly some intriguing matchups on there, um, notably Malenko and Mysterio. However, if I were if I were a fan in 1996, mm-hmm. I don't think, quite honestly, I would be looking forward to that match because I don't know Mysterio. Yeah. Malenko is not on that much. When he's on, he has good matches, but I don't know him very much as a character. Yeah. And this cruiserweight belt has not been treated very seriously. Mm-hmm. So Tim Root in 2017 is looking forward to that match. Yeah. Um, but if I put myself in just a kayfabe time capsule, that match is yeah, – I'm not like, oh, I can't wait for Sunday to see that match. Yeah. You know? um, but, but there are some aspects of the show to be intrigued by, and I think this episode did a good job of um, teasing them out. So our next episode will be some kind of coverage of uh, the Great American Bash. Uh, uh, I don't know how detailed we'll go or if it'll be... uh, Fuck you. You'll find out, you (laughs) piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I also... I really liked the the fact that uh, Sting backhanded Regal on this episode. Like, they brought that back up again. And considering that Sting has, like, 37 feuds going on at the same time. Yeah. I, I think they did a pretty good job as far as the Regal Sting thing is concerned. Absolutely. The band was my MVP of the show, and for good reason. Stinger is, uh, he's, I don't know, good. <laughs> he's good at stinging. <laughs> We've recorded three episodes today, so, <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm a little nitroed out. Yeah. So we will see you next time right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. You could pedal backwards, or excuse me, if you could pedal frontwards as quickly as you pedaled backwards last week, you could be winning an Olympic medal in bike racing in Atlanta this summer. I mean, I never heard anybody backpedal so quickly when you found out that Coach Savage will be coaching Mongo McMichael and Kevin Green. I loved it.